is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. With the many recent advances in the biomedical world, we're learning more and more about the physiological aspects of almost all the tissues and organs in the human body. And one of the most popular topics of discussion has been the question of obesity and its effect on the metabolic changes in the human body. Here with some insight into these changes and how they affect the ability to maintain a healthy body weight is Dr. Howard Simon. He is a professor of surgery and the director of bariatric surgery at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Simon. Thanks so much for coming in. Good morning. So tell me about weight loss. I mean, weight loss today and the ability to maintain a healthy body weight, it's, it's now seen as more than just a matter of willpower. Explain that. Well, I take care of people who are morbidly obese. Morbidly, morbid obesity is clearly a disease. I don't think there are many serious people in the field that don't, don't believe that. And this old-fashioned concept that um, it's just a matter of willpower, I think, is incorrect. Um, if you tell a patient who's morbidly obese, just lose weight and you know, exercise, eat less, it's like telling a depressed person to cheer up. It you know, doesn't work. So... What do we now know about fat as an endocrine organ and what it does? Because there was, I think there's a new understanding about the role of adipose tissue in the body and what it does to our bodies. Well, there's a whole interconnected physiology of, uh, of morbid obesity. Fat is not the inner organ that we thought it was. It, it does produce certain hormones, as does the GI tract. And there are literally hundreds of complicated interactions that go into this disease of morbid obesity, which makes it very difficult to treat by diet and exercise alone. Moreover, it's also very difficult to treat with any available drugs. So is fat basically, and basically, as you said, it creates certain hormones. There's something called adipokines. Apokines are specific um, proteins produced by fat tissue, and fat fat metabolism is abnormal in people who become morbidly obese. So basically, that affects their overall body functioning, the fact that they have these adipokines, leptin, various of those actually affect the way their whole metabolism works. Those are two important actors, but there are literally dozens, if not hundreds of more of those. Again, it makes a specific drug therapy by blocking one of these dozens or hundreds of compounds ineffective because the metabolism and your ultimate weight control is really complicated. So, Uh, There was a recent scientific study in the Journal of Obesity, and it was looking at long-term weight loss, people who had participated in the show The Biggest Loser, for example, and found that many had regained the weight they lost. What do you think of that based on understanding? Well, I think people people who have done bariatrics have known this for years, and that's why we do the operations, because only about 2% of people who are morbidly obese will keep weight off long-term with diet and exercise. And, and you know, moreover, the, the patients on the show had advantages that most people don't have. They had, you know, full-time dietitians and trainers and got more attention than the average person gets, and yet the majority of them gained their weight back. But there's something very specific that they found or they believe in terms of what happens when you lose a lot of weight in terms of one's metabolism. 
the theory is is that we, we have a set point. Uh, you can't point to it in an anatomy book, but it, it's a complicated neurophysiologic mechanism. Our body protects that set point. So what happens to these people is that over time, their metabolism slowed down and they need less and less calories. And that's a big part of what happens. And, it, and the reason surgery works, or one of the reasons surgery probably works, is that because of the biochemical changes from the operations, whether it be a gastric bypass or a sleeve, actually probably help to reset that set point. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with bariatric surgeon Dr. Howard Simon. We're talking about the struggles to maintain a healthy body weight after weight loss. So let's talk more about what happens in bariatric surgery then because, as you said, you have someone who's morbidly obese. Their bodies and their metabolisms are not functioning properly or not properly, that the, the adipose tissue alone is creating all of these issues in their metabolism. So how does the surgery then change all that? Well, I think we're at the beginning of the understanding of that. We, we know a lot of things about it. Let me give you an example. If you take animals, um, obese rats, and they, they exist, and you do a gastric bypass on a rat, and you have two groups, one rat you do the gastric bypass, and on the other you knock out a particular gene that affects some of these metabolic changes that the gastric bypass changes. And you feed the rats the same amount of food after the bypass, the rats that have the gene knocked out lose half as much weight. So it's not just the calories. It's the metabolism. It's the chemicals being secreted. It's change, helping to change the set point. So it's really very complicated. We like to say, well, you're restricted when you have a bypass or a, um, a sleeve. And that's true. But that's only part of the answer. It's, it's, we don't even call it weight loss surgery anymore. It's really metabolic surgery. And that's the important part. It's these metabolic changes that allow 75 or 80% of people who have baric surgery to keep the weight loss off as opposed to 2 or 3% who don't have an operation. So the people, for the most part, there is a higher percentage, what you're suggesting is, who maintain the weight loss after bariatric surgery than those same morbidly obese patients who may lose it, quote-unquote, naturally through diet and exercise. They are less likely to keep it off. Unfortunately, the vast majority, you know, at least, at least 95, probably closer to 98% of those patients will gain the weight back. Probably 75 to 80% of people after bariatric surgery will keep it off long-term, and that is a metabolic issue and, and a restrictive issue with the operation. Does age play a role in this at all? In other words, are teenagers, there was some study that suggested that teenagers do better after that type of intervention than adults? I think that's true. I'm not sure it's a biochemical reason. I think there's more plasticity, plasticity, plasticity. to the way um, their minds work, and they haven't been um, as acclimated as some older people. I, I also find, and I do people in their 60s and 70s, I think it's a little bit harder for some people in their 60s and 70s to change their habits, which is something you have to do. Uh, so you're saying even with bariatric surgery, there have to be certain very s significant changes in the way you approach The operation food. is necessary. It's not sufficient. And where the willpower comes in is, is not that this is a failure of willpower. You need willpower because you need to eat properly. You need to eat nutritiously, and you need to use the tool. You'll feel full with a little bit of food. That doesn't mean you can't eat a little bit more. And the people that change their habits, and that's the majority, 
do very well. And, and you've also told me at other times when we've chatted, there are people who choose to graze, so to speak, or eat little amounts throughout the day, and those people will gain, I mean, small amounts, but excessively throughout the day, those people still may gain their weight back. Sure. I think grazing is probably the biggest um, problem we see in the patients who regain weight. And I think it's important to point out, they're grazing, when they're eating, they're not really hungry. And the tool will help you to be less hungry but you need to not ignore the tool. So how about this idea of the change in diabetes? Does that go along? I know with type 2 diabetes, there's a profound change after bariatric surgery in these morbidly obese patients, assuming they've had it, I mean, when they have type 2 diabetes. Help, help us explain, or help explain what you think well, again, is going it, on it, there. It's a function of both weight loss and uh, biochemical effects. Um, if you look at patients who have a gastric bypass, a fair number of them go home off the diabetes medicine. Now, clearly that can't be because of weight loss early on. It's because certain hormones in the bowel uh, that make you use your insulin better and help you secrete more insulin become active. Um, so, you know, we get people with very long-term remissions with bariatric surgery of their diabetes. Well, given the fact that there's the suggestion that once there's a, a profound amount of weight loss that the metabolism slows, how does that affect how you might counsel, obviously, morbidly obese patients with or without bariatric surgery? And then how does that impact the general population? First start with the well, your, your I, I patients. Well, I morbid obesity is a disease. Now, when, when does a patient go from overweight to obese to morbidly obese? When does it become a disease? I don't think we know the answer to that. We know that 70% of the population is overweight. And my suggestion to overweight people is they need to eat nutritiously. They need to eat mindfully. Very few people really concentrate on eating. We're all multitasking. And people need to do exercise, which I define as any activity, physical activity, that you weren't doing before. Healthy people exercise, whether they're overweight or not. But the suggestion here is that if you get to a certain point, such as morbid obesity, what we've been saying is that diet and exercise, mindful eating alone, will not solve the problem. It doesn't work, and that's the whole rationale for doing the operations that we do. It, once you become morbidly obese, things that you think on paper, or biochemically or um, thermodynamically should work, less calories taken in, more calories burned from exercise, but your brain, your set point, adjusts to that, and it makes it very, very difficult and impossible in the vast majority of people who are morbidly obese to lose weight and keep it off. It just, it's rare. So what do you basically tell your patients? I mean, what do you say to them both before the surgery and then following the surgery in terms of the most, you know, their ability to be most successful? Well, I, I, again, I tell them the operation is necessary, but alone, without behavioral changes, it's not going to work long term. And they need to eat nutritious food and not to eat when they're not hungry, which is much easier after the operation. So would you suggest then shows like The Biggest Loser in a way are kind of steering people down the wrong path based on these findings? Well, I think, and again, I've never, I never watched the show. No, I, no, I no. know about it, but I think the, the problem is, you know, it's a reality show. The, the problem is, is what they're suggesting, no matter how much attention these people get when they're on the reality show, real biochemistry and real physiology kicks in afterwards, and they regain the weight the same time, the same way that you know 
you know, primary care doctors and, and internists see with their patients. They just gain it back after a time. But would we say that there is a point, and we don't know where in the terms of the amount of extra weight you're carrying, where diet and exercise would be sufficient, but it's at a certain point that it is no longer sufficient. Right. Is, that, and, is that, know, that the takeaway in a way? I think it is, and I, I don't know where that point is. I mean, we define morbid obesity in terms of body mass index above 40 or between 35 and 39 if you have type 2 diabetes or sleep apnea or hypertension. And we know in that group of patients, the vast, vast majority of them will not be successful long-term, no matter how hard they try, no matter how good their willpower is, without an operation. Just a point of clarification. We use BMI, but a lot of people don't exactly know how that calculation works. Would you say in pounds, where you're talking about, you know, two or 300 pounds over your... Well, I think your... it depends on your height, and that's what the BMI does. Right. The BMI corrects your height for your weight. So let's say you're 300 pounds and you're six feet tall, your BMI is 40, so you're morbidly obese. If you're 300 pounds and you're five feet tall, your BMI is 50, and you're more morbidly obese. This can be calculated very easily. There's charts to do that. So basically the takeaway is? The takeaway is, is unfortunately, the only therapy that works in the majority of people who are morbidly obese, I just want to emphasize that, is surgery plus behavioral changes. You need the two. And those people generally, for the most part, will do well with that combination. If you look at the numbers, it's probably close to 80%, 75 to 80% who will get long-term success. Thanks again for coming in. It's always very, very enlightening and very important information. My guest has been Dr. Howard Simon. He's professor of surgery, and he's the director of bariatric surgery at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.